Articles of Faith is a weekly interview show featuring scholars and writers who have written about the doctrines and teachings of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Articles of Faith is a production of Fair Mormon and is hosted by Nick Galetti. Angela Valentine and Catherine Skaggs are two, the two co-founders of the Mormon Women's Stand website, a website that focuses its efforts on defending the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, its leaders, and its teachings by using a united voice of faithful women from the Church. Angela grew up in Alberta, Canada, and later attended Ricks College, which is also now today known as BYU-Idaho. She also then attended Utah State University, where she got a degree in journalism with an emphasis in public relations and corporate communications. After graduating, she interned with the Church Public Affairs Office and also worked for the Church's Office of International and Governmental Affairs in Washington, D.C. She continued to work for various departments of the Church after that. Today, she doesn't really do very much, right? You just sit around, don't do anything. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. And, and Catherine Skaggs is a wife, mother, and grandmother. She took the Ann Romney approach to womanhood by staying home and raising her children and making no apologies for doing so. Her online efforts started in 2008 with the blog A Well-Behaved Mormon Woman, where she shares her voice on a variety of social issues. Both are here today to talk about what it means to be a voice on the internet, more specifically a female voice on the internet, and the opportunities that that effort has in sustaining church leaders and furthering church dialogue online. So thank you very much, both of you, for being here. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. So we're here, I need to clarify, we're at the Provo City Library because both of you are in town for BYU's Education Week. So how has your experience been so far? It's been a great work so far, a great week so far. Thanks for having us. Um, and in fact, this is the first time Angela and I have met each other. Um, oh, really? Well, not actually here at the podcast, but just 24 hours ago. So because she's been in New Zealand and I've been in the United States, we've done everything. We've, we've developed our relationship um, yeah. together over the last couple of years online. And uh, so physically, personally, we've just <laughs> met. <laughs> That's actually pretty incredible when you think of the it worldwide really church is. and how that, that voice is now unified very quite literally here with just the two of you. Yes. So um, I guess in, in what ways has attending the conference helped you in your efforts as a voice online? So far, have you found anything to, to well, specifically talk to that other than, of course, Elder Bednar? <laughs> well, no, you don't say other than that. You say Elder Bednar because <laughs> okay. everything else is goes to the back of the room now. And what he um, counseled and taught at the uh, BYU devotional is uh, that's everything now. And it will overshadow everything. Everything will be adjusted to that. <laughs> so so uh, maybe you can give some specifics for people that haven't actually uh, heard the talk yet or, or heard any even comments on it. What did he talk about and how, did, again, does it relate? Well, first of all, it relates completely to what Mormon Women's Stand does. And it's his counsel was to talk about social media and the internet pertaining to members, members of the church, how we use that to build the kingdom online. And he ultimately extended an invitation for us to go forward, to share the goodness, um, share goodness of the gospel, ultimately to testify of Jesus Christ and the plan of salvation. So um, I think he really, it was really a magnificent use of apostolic keys. And I think that's why it makes, why I say everything pales in comparison almost to what he was, what, what he said yesterday. Everything that goes with him and goes forward uh, was uh, reiterated through many quotes um, of say Elder Ballard, Elder Perry, um, President Kimball, um, President McKay. So those are the things we take with us and move forward. But um, really, it's just um, the keys license us 
authorize us to go forward and do something powerful. We've known for the last, you know, five, six, seven years to go out and do something on the internet. But what struck me so boldly was, you know, I put a lot of time into sharing the gospel through social media online. And um, he described my work as a trickle. And so... (laughs) A trickle. A trickle. And I loved that because um, what we have seen so far has been amazing. The church has, the church work that um, has gone forward through social media the last couple of years in particular has just been mind-blowing. I mean, when I first started, it was before Elder Ballard gave his talk. And um, since then, and at that point, I could kind of keep up with everything when the church just sure. kind of introduced something, and I was like on it. You know, I'd blog it, I'd be on it. But there's no possible way and that I can keep up with it even right now as it is, and that's considered a trickle. So put that in perspective to the flood, the just torrential rainfall that we've been authorized through Apostolic Keys to unleash. And that, to me, is just mind-boggling to imagine. You know, when I had a, a, an occasion, I think it was in a gospel doctrine class, we talked about the, the gospel going forward and all those things, and the use of Facebook in, yeah. in missionary work. And I tried to put it in perspective because I think there's a little over a billion accounts of, of Facebook users. And I thought, well, there's 7 billion people in the world. So even if every person on Facebook was a member of the church, it's still only a seventh of the world's population. Right, right. It's incredible how much work there is to be done. It's exponential. It's, yeah. It's unfathomable. Yeah. It's an, it's, Literally. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you guys have talked a little bit, or at least hinted to the Mormon women stand uh, idea, and you both kind of have a combined effort in that you co-founded this effort. Was this a response to something in particular or just kind of an overarching need that you saw online? Um. I founded Mormon Women's Stand and invited Angela to co-found it with me because I wanted a companion and this missionary work, <laughs> and she's my companion. We're, we do this together 100%. Um, where did it come from? Why did I reach out and gather over, yeah. over a dozen women to do what I'm doing and to do what we're doing together as a collective voice for um, faithful women of covenant in the church? And that's how we see ourselves like-minded. How does that look? Um, Personal experience, obviously, is going to bring you to anything. Um, but overall, in, in the broad conversation, we have seen a great lack. I've seen a great lack of our part of the church, that voice in the church being represented through media, even within the broad conversations within the church. You mean faithful women? Faithful women, okay. exactly. Thank you. Um, the voice that... Um, we would describe as like-minded in our mission statement is not being represented, we don't feel. And I didn't feel before that. And so I really wanted that voice to come together and to, um, in some visual way, and that's why we actually started our group through Facebook mm. first. We launched, in, we launched in March on Facebook because Facebook gives you the ability to be visual number-wise. And there was so much out on the internet kind of... Um, giving this perception of a very small group of LDS women. That were much bigger. That they were like, they were huge or something. They were the voice of the they church. They were the majority, yeah. They were the majority. We have national papers coming and speaking to them, and they're representing, they're speaking, they're laying out who we are, what we stand for, and how we act. And the women I know, the majority of women that I've written about, that I talk about, they just didn't. And um, surely, you know, there's a space for all of us in the church. We acknowledge that. But we really, and I really felt like, um, I really wanted to create some way to um, visually 
be seen. And so just being a social media, you know, person, lover <laughs> that I am, it seemed logical to use Facebook to start. Then, of course, we grew so quickly because we resonated with so many LDS women, over 30,000 now. That's um, incredible. It is incredible. It really is incredible. But um, then we realized we needed a, a website, and, um, and so we moved to the website. But also, not just the voice of LDS women in the church, but I've had personal experiences because I've been a blogger, a single blogger, for a number of years, and I blog about many social issues, many of moral issues that um, intermix with our doctrine. Um, I'm, I fi- I'm finding it increasingly difficult to stand alone and, and not be bullied. Online, And that can come from within the church, progressives who may disagree, and outside of the church. And so, um, and I also see that a lot of people in the church are not standing for what they believe, for fear of just being taken down. You know, people well, nobody likes them. to be told they're stupid. <laughs> well, you know, I don't think you're being. I don't fairness. think you're saying someone's stupid when you're saying you well, believe. Well, I've had in, that happen. Yeah, well, I have too. But <laughs> maybe you know, I am. I don't know. But, but you know what I'm saying. It's very difficult to yeah. stand for your beliefs. Um, when you know you're being called a bigot, you know, and ignorant, um, because you stand with the Savior and you stand with the doctrine, you stand with prophets, um, to be considered an extremist. And so, from a religious standpoint, um, I also felt the need to empower other women to stand for Jesus Christ and to stand for the doctrine of the church and to stand up in the community, in the public space, and to learn how to speak and to um, to do it with charity, with boldness, and with truth. And um, so there's a number of reasons that Mormon Women's Stand became, I, I felt, necessary, compelled. Mm. And I might add that there is a certain level of power that comes with standing and not being a passive member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I've had personal experiences that have, over and over again have shown me that once somebody makes that first step, the next step's is easier, and then the next step is easier to defend another doctrine and another and another until you become more confident. Nobody is ever going to be perfectly confident on every single doctrine, and that's okay. You don't have to be. But what I have found is that when everybody else seems to be sitting down and you're the only one standing up, it is there, there's a, a power that comes within standing. And then I, I've actually had people tell me um, that— because they have seen other members of the church stand on Mormon women's stand, they have courage to do so also. They do not feel alone. And even today in the Marriott Center, I looked around and I turned to my husband and I said, look around, This, what's the capacity of the Marriott Center? And he says, well, about 23,000. Is that about right? Could he be. was guessing. I, yeah, I, don't, I don't know. know. But I said, we have more than the Marriott Center of people willing to put their name on that and willing to be part of the conversation. And there's power in that. And it's growing every day. I, I agree with Angela 100%. And in fact, um, we are, we've articulated our mission statement and what we're about. It's written on our Facebook page and our website. So um, it's been crafted so specific that it is, if you aren't willing to stand with for by the Savior and those whom he has authorized to lead the church, um, you're not going to like our page. We don't get <laughs> likes. That's the bottom line. We don't get likes just to join the party. You know, it's not yeah. a lot of what happens online. It's kind of a, just kind of a bandwagon. We're all going to like, you know, we're all going to like this it's page. It's easy to click it's like. It's easy to click like. Yeah. It is not easy to click like Mormon Women Stand. 
So who then, these are the people that are involved, but who then is the audience of your articles that we'll, of course, get into? But who, who are you writing to when you're, when you're at the keyboard and you're typing away and you've, I've got this thing burning in me and i got to write this? Who, who do you picture? Who is your audience? I think you just said it. The woman who has a burning testimony of Jesus Christ and who hasn't, um, who, is, who wants to stand, who needs support to stand, who needs to know what that looks like to stand. Um, so it's not so much the person out there that, that is questioning their testimony or finding answers. We have a number so of women on our Facebook page that bring questions to okay. the page. Um, so that's part of it. It really is. In fact, actually, it's a lot of it. Um, there are some who would say that it's not, uh, but it is. We welcome questions, and we welcome, um, as sisters in Christ, to reach out to other women who have questions. We all have questions, my goodness, but who actually may be struggling with their questions. And I've seen some of the most beautiful online work that I have seen in all the years that I've been online on that Facebook page. And so I would invite any woman with questions with a faithful heart to come and talk to us. Is more of the discussion happening then on Facebook versus the blog? Absolutely, okay. absolutely. So definitely go there first. Come to our Facebook page. Get okay. to know us. Get to know our admins. We've got a dozen admins, and we, we moderate the page 24-7, and our hearts are open to you. Cool. Well, and, and I guess the one thing that Facebook doesn't do very well is showcase the articles, so when people put the links up, they still have to go back and read. Yep. Uh, one, one of the articles that we'll get into that you guys... Uh, posted on the Mormon Women's Stand website, is in an article entitled Chipping Away at Priesthood Authority of Mormon Prophets to Undermine Faith. This was written by Angela, but uh, it was interesting, though, when I brought this up, Catherine said that she shares your words. And so that that in and of itself is an interesting position that most bloggers don't always uh, have people standing with what they write the same way. Well, let me just interject because I want to turn the time over to Angela because she does own <laughs> that piece, which we are so proud of. Um, Mormon Women Stand is a collective voice, and we, um, we may individually write from our own spaces, but we are very, very, very um, intent on standing together. And so when a piece goes out on Mormon Women's Stand, particularly under our topic section, which Angela's is put under, we have the blog, which our admins contribute to, but we have the topic section, which takes on a little bit more difficult topics to issues, mm -hmm. doctrinal nature. And those in particular are well discussed and before they're written, and even when during the writing process, there's input that goes into it. So um, when something goes out on Mormon Women's Stand, it's a collective voice that we believe that the women that um, are our audience will be able to stand with us, and that's what makes what we do and the work that we put out there, the content that we create, so powerful. Excellent. So let's get to this article then. Um, and now the, the title itself, again, is Chipping Away at Priesthood Authority of Mormon Prophets to Undermine Faith. It's not a how-to, but rather a commentary on it happening in the discourse. Um, but uh, what exactly then was the genesis of this particular topic? I think over the years of of being online and observing, even before I got into, I hadn't been a blogger before until this point, but it was the observing of a gradual but purposeful chipping away at the apostolic keys of the first presidency and the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. And then even on a local level, general and local, that finally it just got to the point where I was surprised that nobody had been really addressing that on a, on a more stronger research doctrinal standpoint that literally had um, the words of prophets themselves 
indicating that they're united, that, that they are special witnesses of Jesus Christ. So I guess the warning that you give in the article is that we need to give care and attention to the idea that the more we seek out, or individuals, I shouldn't say we, but the more individuals seek out the faults of our leaders as they will be found, these are imperfect men to their own admission, uh, that we're essentially giving more place for discord, for distancing ourselves from orthodoxy. Is that kind of an accurate warning? Absolutely. Okay. And we've been warned by that by prophets and apostles for since the beginning of time. If so, this is not new information. Sure. So when, when then, what then is rather the, the remedy that you guys would prescribe in this particular situation where we do see that happening, a lot of people kind of, as you put, chipping away at their authority to, to undermine it, but what then is the remedy? I think the remedy is not engaging and allowing yourself to go down those paths of criticism, fault-finding, and um, complaining. And when you look at the source of all of those negative emotions that cause people to tear people down, particularly those in authority positions, positions of authority, excuse me, there is no good that comes from that. Whether it be gossiping about fellow Relief Society sisters or coming home from church and complaining about your bishop and your children hear that or listening to general conference with a jaded ear. There is no good that can become, that can come from that. And ultimately, as I mentioned in my article, you have to go to the source. And the source for all of that negativity, the complaining, the fault finding, the criticism, we have to acknowledge that it comes from the adversary. We would be disingenuous to think otherwise. Now, some people might argue that uh, that any type of voice of of not for advocating for change, but just saying these are our feelings, these are our thoughts, these are some of the things that we've observed that could possibly improve the church. I mean, this is a dialogue that people have had, that in fact that there have been positive changes that have come as a result. What's the difference then between that and what you've described here of being critical and and degrading these programs. Yeah. <clears throat> Let me interject there. I think um, many of the principles and doctrines that, that Angela wrote about in her piece are principles and doctrines that are applicable to all of these conversations as far as coming to the source. As far as um, those who desire change in the church, you know, we've had those that they go from, you know, uh, simple change to doctrinal change. And there is a boundary there. And, and obviously the boundary is doctrinal. Um, and also the intent. The intent of why... Why are we advocating for something? Where is that coming from? Um, is it coming from a place of, I truly see something that can benefit the church, or I've been hurt, I'm hurt, and I want justice, and I want this to be changed, and if they change this, you know, is there a bitterness behind it, or is there a genuine, genuine desire for change in order to increase and improve the work of salvation? Um, change isn't just about us as individuals. When we're looking for change to kind of validate who we are, um, then I think if we're going inward with it, I think we need to watch for that. If our advocacy for change is for policies and um, things that could you know, benefit the work of salvation moving forward, bring us closer together, um, encompass more sisters, um, then I think those are amazing changes. And we, the church is already moving in those areas. They're, you, know, you just know they have, they're thinking all the time. The brethren are thinking about the sisters. They're talking to the sisters. Um, and so I really think that the intent of the heart is it bitter, or is it intended to reach out and broaden the work of the Lord? So if, 
you know, I think there's so a there really, is a gauge. There's a gauge. There's a motive. How do we gauge that? Judge, yeah. We gauge that by the Spirit. We've been given the gift of the Holy Ghost, the gift of discernment, and it's not about judging. It's about discerning, using a gift that the Lord has given us. And so back to you, Angela. <laughs> <laughs> so anything you want to add to that? Well, like Catherine said, we there are ways to bring uh, ideas forward, and there are many, many avenues to do that. And for, for me and for this piece, it crosses the line when you begin to undermine the first presidency and quorum of the 12 apostles who, as members of this church, we know that they are special witnesses of Jesus Christ. And because we know that they represent Jesus Christ here on this earth, the criticism and the fault finding and the complaining, I guess I should call it the new CFC, shouldn't I? <laughs> it cuts through everything. It destroys so much. Um, it really, really undermines their authority. I guess it undermines their authority, and it, and it chips away at everything they say in the future. If members of the church continue on that path, they're not going to be listening to General Conference or any other message from a member of the Quorum of the Twelve or the First Presidency or other general authorities if they already have a chip on their shoulder and are watching for something to be offended by. It, it's almost like a guilty until proven innocent, right? Yeah. You're, you're, you don't follow with faith, you're following with doubt. And right. so your, your default is that they're wrong until I agree with them. But that's not faith. Right. And that's the opposite of faith. And we move forward with faith. That is what started this church. Joseph Smith went forward with faith before he even knew what was going to happen. And we don't know the end from the beginning in our journey towards Jesus Christ. But what we do know is that he has asked us to trust his special witnesses and trust in their keys that they have been given. And it's not a blind following of the doctrines. It's a matter of faith. And we have to rely on that. You know, I thought Angela brought up something really good in her piece, and that is, um, as far as exercising faith and trusting that this is the work of the Lord and that those who have been called have keys and are authorized to speak for the Lord. And she mentioned general conference, but she also mentioned, but not, I mean, not in her article, just in the conversation here, but in her article, she mentions, you know, where do we turn? Are we, are we going to forums? Or either you mentioned it or one of the quotes. Okay, you did. Are you going to forums? Uh, so put together a conference. You know, let me be blunt here. There are a number of groups online who literally in real time, and because one of the things that's not on my resume to begin with, for the last couple of years, I've been sitting in the media room and blogging and tweeting out general conference in real time. Fabulous experience. Wonderful to sit there and broadcast out the words of the Lord, you know, literally exponentially in real time. At the very same time, we've got people who've had some of the similar access or very close to access, the minute, the minute something is said, they're looking for it. They're not there to really broadcast out what the Lord has to say. They're there advocating, undermining authority immediately the, word, the minute it's being said. If those are the groups that you're going to... That's a sign. Enough said. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you give a statement in the article that might come across to some as, as strongly worded. So I want to give you the opportunity to maybe develop it a little further. And this is, this is the direct quote. Is it wrong to speak ill or critically of church leaders or of a talk they give in general conference? Yes. 
How serious, how serious is speaking and writing against the leaders of the church? Very serious, end quote. So that kind of goes to that. Now, there are some that will disagree with you even moderately. So I want to give you a chance um, to, to defend that. <laughs> okay, no problem. You know, I think for me, what it boils down to is, I, I, I did mention there was right below that quote that I made was, Elder Oaks himself said that evil speaking of the Lord's anointed is in a totally different category in and of itself. And we, when we go across those lines, we are damaging those special witnesses of Jesus Christ. We are advocating against. And I believe, and I know that most members of the church around the world would find it very uncomfortable and very unfaithful to advocate against and speak ill and speak critically against our prophet and apostles. This is so much the passion behind Mormon Women Stand, being covenant women of Christ. Um, and as such, how we, what it looks like, it would never look like conversations to undermine, minimize priesthood authority. So when we talk about speaking ill or speaking evil of the Lord's anointed, there becomes a very big difference, and I think the key here is not thinking these things or having certain thoughts that we have in our heads from time to time, but definitely it becomes a, a difficulty when we give voice to that and advocate and publicize and blog and, and comment against other people and things like that. So I think that what we're dealing with here is not someone who looks at perhaps something that a church leader has said and give pause and thought and, and ponder and think about it and pray about it, but more of the giving voice to it as far as the advocacy, because that's, I've made up my mind, right? I've made up my mind that this is something I dif disagree with. And I think once you voice that, it doesn't, it's not personal anymore. It's not just between you and Heavenly Father, your, your issue. It is taken to a broader scope, and you never know who reads what you write. You are responsible for what you write. And for those who may be on a fence, may be struggling with their faith, the minute you, a member of the church writes a blog post in critical manner against one of the special witnesses of Jesus Christ, they then become responsible for their words. And we don't know where those words will go. We don't know what ideas that will be planted. But this is, this is my personal opinion, that we will all be responsible for those who we could have saved had we done our duty. We will also be responsible for those that we pulled away. And we, I believe we will have to account to the Savior himself for that. Okay. So. I actually have that quote um, from Elder Oaks that you gave in the article, and I want to share it because I think it's, it's a relevant support to the thesis of, and title of your article. He said, quote, criticism is particularly objectionable when it is directed towards church authorities, general or local. Jude condemns those who speak evil of dignities. Evil speaking of the Lord's anointed is in a class by itself, as you said before. It's one thing to depreciate a person who exercises corporate power or even government power. It is quite another thing to criticize or depreciate a person for the performance of an office to which he or she has been called of God. It does not matter that the criticism is true. When we say anything bad about the leaders of the church, whether true or false, we tend to impair their influence and their usefulness and are thus working against the Lord and his cause. And I think that's an interesting 
quality that he talks about. It's not that these criticisms might not have some value or some some weight to it, but it's a matter of, again, giving voice to it and being that voice against the church. So you, of course, encounter people every day on your, on your Facebook page and your blog, leaving comments on your articles. Uh, you're, you're actively engaged, both of you, in that online discussion, which leads me back to Elder Bednar's talk here at Education Week regarding the proper use and role of online social media. So I am one that has a hard time keeping my mouth shut uh, on some of these things. So in what ways has maybe Elder Bednar specifically given us some ways to change our discourse online to be more Christ-like? Well, he's been very, and not just Elder Bednar, but um, any of the uh, apostles, prophets who have spoken about our online presence. We've been encouraged to be bold and courageous, but to also do so with charity. Um, that's really a difficult combination, or at least it's perceived as a difficult. In fact, most people would say it's not possible. It's not possible to stand for traditional marriage and not be a bigot. Um, but of course, those of covenant reject that um, for a lot of reasons. But I think really the guideline is to be authentic, be ourselves, have integrity, speak truth, um, do it with love, uh, consider yourself a covenant member of the church and act accordingly. I think those guidelines are powerful. And as, as the keys have released and authorized us to move forward and go forward, I think those are the things we really need to focus on. Um, I've said it before. I said it when I spoke at BYU Women's Conference. Um, and I would imagine that I'm not alone. It may sound a little bit prideful, but I am fiercely loyal to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm fiercely loyal to the church um, because I'm under covenant. I'm under covenant like every other member of the church. Well, again, Catherine Skaggs and Angela Valentine are the co-founders of Mormon Women's Stand, found at mormonwomenstand.com, and find them at Facebook. I assume it's just facebook.com forward slash Mormon Women Stand. Is that right? You got it. Okay. Pretty easy to remember. <laughs> so uh, we want to encourage you to check out the article that we've referenced here today. And uh, we'll have a link to that on the posting of this episode at blog.fairmormon.org. Thank you again, ladies, for coming in. Thank you for having us. Thank you for listening to this episode of Articles of Faith with your host, Nick Galetti. This has been a production of Fair Mormon. This and other podcasts are available at fairmormon.org. The opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the views of Fair Mormon or The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Please subscribe to our show in iTunes. Questions or comments can be sent to podcast at fairmormon.org. Tune in each Monday for another episode of Articles of Faith. Thank you for listening.